All right. Good morning, everybody. Real quick, uh, pop quiz. Uh, it shouldn't be too terribly difficult. Jesus was uh, asked the question, what is the greatest command? And he weaved together two different ideas and said, here's the first, but the second is like it, and kind of combined these two ideas. Uh, we know, right? We know what they are. What was, the, what was the first thing that he said was the greatest command? Love God, of course, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And then what was the second thing he said in the answer to the greatest command? Love your neighbors. So, so, I mean, we've condensed it very, very drastically sometimes to say love people or love God and, and love people. So I just kind of want that in the back of your mind a little bit as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. Okay, if you were not here last week, let me give you a super quick recap. You, got, you guys are going to wonder why I just didn't preach for, for two minutes last week, because if we can recap the whole thing, why didn't we just do that? But real quick, uh, those of you that have grown up at church or maybe have come to church later in your life, you know that prayer is supposed to be this really central element of your faith. However, for many of us, many of us, and I know I don't speak for everyone because there's a few of you who are just like super prayer warrior types, but for many of us, prayer has come along with it emotions of guilt and some confusion about how it works. And if we're being honest, there has been some questions about boredom. Like, is this, I, I get distracted and bored and I want to do something else. So prayer sometimes bring up, brings up guilt. Did I pray long enough? Do I pray often enough? It brings up confusion like, well, if God already knows what I need, then why am I saying it to God? You know, have you ever thought about this? Like when you are at your disciple group and you take prayer requests and then you say, okay, now let's pray as if God wasn't there for prayer request time and something's different about, you know, the next few minutes. It's just, there's a lot of questions that we have about prayer. And then honestly, and this is probably me speaking more than for anybody else, but there's been times where I've been like, I mean, prayer, it's, it's boring. You know, as a, as a 12, 13-year-old kid who was told, hey, you've got to pray, and maybe you should pray for hours a day, and I'm just like, this, it's, it's boring. I just can't keep my, my mind occupied enough. So there's a lot of guilt, confusion, and, and sometimes boredom. And because of that, our prayer lives can kind of become pretty marginal to our faith. They become pretty peripheral. So we know we, we love to study, we love to learn, we love to worship, we love all that part of it, but then the prayer part of it, mm, I don't know, it's just, it's just not my thing. Maybe that God hasn't gifted me with that. But you know that that's not quite right because you know prayer is supposed to be pretty central, pretty integral, in, in, uh, integral to, to our relationship with God. And so last week we talked about this idea when Jesus stops and he says, all right, this is how you pray. When you pray, he says, the thing you need to remember is that you are praying. This is the character of God that you're appealing to, and it's not some formula. So it's not about praying for a certain amount of time, and he offers us an example of a really short prayer. He doesn't say you have to pray at a certain time of day. He doesn't, have to pr say, he doesn't say you have to pray in a certain way. He says you are praying to a loving Father who is eager to bring about your good. Prayer is about the character of God. And that's so important for us because if we don't realize who's on the other end of this listening to this, then we are going to struggle because we're afraid, well, I prayed for Grandpa and he didn't get better. Did I do it wrong? Is there something wrong with my faith? And we have to believe, we have to know that prayer is about speaking to a loving Father who is eager to bring about our good. And remember we talked about how in Matthew chapter 7, you know, even us, even us earthly fathers, even fathers who aren't that great, who aren't going to win fathers of the year, if our kid asks for bread, we're not going to give him a stone. And if God is a good father, imagine how much more he's going to give good gifts to those who are seeking after him. All right? So that's, that's the quick recap. 
So here's what I would like us to do. We ended last week by reciting the Lord's Prayer together because this is kind of valuable to know that this is the one time. Now, prayer is, of course, spoken of all through Scripture. But this is the one time where Jesus sat down and said, okay, here's how it's done. We get tons of examples throughout the Bible, tons of examples and references about Christ. But the Lord's Prayer is the one time in Scripture where Jesus says, okay, here is how you do it. And so we ended last week with reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And I'd like us to start this week by doing that. And we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to make a couple of observations about what this is, and maybe some questions that might have come up in your mind as you think about the Lord's Prayer. And then I want to talk about what's happening and what Jesus is teaching us about prayer through this prayer. All right, so, so next slide. Uh, let's say this together. We can start with the Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, a couple observations that I'd like to, to make. <clears throat> for some of you, and, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but for some of you, what we just did, and this prayer in general, uh, brings up a little bit of discomfort. And the reason it does is because in your mind, these words have been associated with a particular religious tradition that maybe you feel like uses this prayer too much. And they just, somebody will say, hey, just pray this prayer 10 times, 15 times, whatever, and then you'll be good. And so for you, you've, you pray this prayer, and it feels like you're participating in a religious tradition that, that using these words that, that you don't want to participate in. So for some of you, I understand that it brings up a little bit of discomfort. And for some of you, you're like, well, if you repeat this prayer, aren't you doing the thing Jesus said a few verses earlier not to do about uh, babbling on, or some of your translations say vain repetition? So if you just repeat this prayer, isn't that what Jesus was teaching them not to do? I mean, that, that's, a, that's kind of a problem. Um, let me say this. If there's one takeaway from this passage, it should not be, don't pray this prayer. If there's one takeaway from this passage, that it should not be, don't pray the Lord's Prayer. That, that would be a pretty silly thing if we read these words where Jesus said, and when you pray, pray this way, and we're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey that, that particular thing. These are the words of Jesus. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. Pray like this. And for us to be like, I'm not going to pray that prayer. You know, I'll just, I'd rather make up my own prayers. We don't do that with songs, right? We, we sing other people's songs. Can you imagine if we all got together and we, we were like, oh, let's, I'm going to write a song and we're all going to sing it. How would that go for you guys? No, not well at all is my point. <laughs> It would not go well. And it, I think it is totally okay to take these words of Jesus and to offer them to God. I think it's totally okay because this is an example, a specific example of what God, uh, Jesus asked us to do. There is a ton of historical evidence that the followers of Jesus from the very first day uh, prayed this prayer daily, multiple times a day. They prayed this prayer, these words. So when you are praying these words, maybe we're saying them in a different language, but you are participating in, in, in a, a historical tradition that, that millions of Christians have engaged in. I think that's kind of pretty neat. So whatever our takeaway from this prayer, it should not be don't pray this prayer. But secondly, some of you may have noticed like, well, it feels like there's some stuff missing in this prayer. 
Did you notice that? Like, if you are familiar, if you've had that prayer memorized, isn't there something about, and thine is the power and the glory forever? Isn't there something about that? I mean, certainly when we've sung this before, it's been turned into song. There's something about that. Well, just a little fun behind-the-scenes note. That phrase that is, that is often said along with this prayer is not in the original manuscripts that we have access to. It's not a bad phrase, but it's just not in the original. So most of your more modern translations will have eliminated that or they'll moved it down to a footnote or they'll put it in like italics or something to just let you know that this wasn't in the original. It was probably something someone added on later. Um, but also, I want you to notice something about the prayer. This is, I think, fascinating to me. Because what we do as Christians is we take all these different ideas, these different building blocks, and we, we, we build them up and we create this, our, our approach to prayer with God. But notice in this prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, there's no, like, thank you God for all you've given us. There's nothing like that. There's no confession of sins. Uh, for those of you that know the model, the ACTS model, there's no adoration. Maybe you could argue, hallowed be your name is sort of that. There's no confession. There's no thanksgiving. It is all, this prayer is all requests. It's all requests to God. And I think that's kind of interesting to, to at least to note that there's none of those other elements of prayer. It's just all requests. And so some of you are thinking like, I don't necessarily want to be the one to point this out, but I think Jesus is praying wrong. He didn't add all that other stuff that we normally add. And I think we've got to be a little careful about worrying about Jesus praying wrong. For the longest time, I would have guaranteed you that somewhere in the Bible, someone wrote that when you pray, you have to close your eyes and fold your hands. Right? It's got to be somewhere in the Bible because we talk about that regularly. I heard that so often when I was a kid. It was ground into me. And so every once in a while, don't tell my mom, but every once in a while I would peek when other people were praying. And have you ever been in this situation, especially if you had siblings and you peeked while mom or dad was praying and you realized that your siblings were also peeking and then you got done with the prayer and you're like, mom, 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 Katie was looking during the prayer. And then your mom goes, well, how did you know Katie was looking during the prayer? You're like, oh, busted, you know, you got me. It's in there somewhere, right? That, that God doesn't really hear our prayers unless we close our eyes and bow our head. This is, this is true. Even to this day, sometimes when I see somebody praying and they're looking around, it weirds me out. Are you really talking to God? Because I think God can only hear you when your eyes are closed. There's some, something about that connection. It just weirds me out. This prayer does not end with, in Jesus' name, amen. It doesn't end with that. Do you notice that? Now you're like, well, of course, it's Jesus. He... He doesn't have to say in my name, amen. But if he wanted us, if this was something that was important to him to, for him to, to, to point out, he would have done that. I, listen, I will always end my prayers within Jesus' name, amen. It is ground into me to this point in my life that it's just going to happen all my life. But I, you need to know that that isn't in there. In fact, thinking that you have to, this is going to get me in so much trouble because this is the thing you're going to come up to me afterwards and talk about. But thinking you have to like send off your prayers to God with the phrase in Jesus' name, amen, is a theological misunderstanding of what it means to pray in the name of Christ. It's okay to do, and I'm going to do it all my life. But it doesn't, that's not how it works. That's not the send button on your prayers. That's not hitting enter when you send the text or whatever it is, right? That's not how it works. It means something completely different that we're not going to get, in, uh, get into today. But it's ingrained. It's, it's the way I'm going to do it. It's part of my ritual. It's part of my habit. And you are always going to hear me in my prayers within Jesus' name, amen. Because I don't feel right. I tried it the other day. 
I was like, I'm going to test this out, and it didn't feel right. And I'm like, I'm sorry, God, I have to, I have to tag this on there. It's just not going to work for me. So what is Jesus doing with this prayer? And I think this is a good question for us to ask. What is Jesus teaching about prayer through this prayer? What is Jesus teaching about prayer through this prayer? It's like Mr. Miyagi, you learn by actually doing. And so he models this prayer. So what is Jesus teaching about prayer through this prayer? Have you ever had the experience of waking up and being completely disoriented? Like, like you woke up and maybe you were just deep in that REM cycle or whatever it is. And you woke up and you, like, you didn't know where you were. You didn't know what day of the week it was. You didn't know what your name was. You didn't know what was going on in your life. And it takes a few minutes for you to kind of like come to and figure out what's going on. Not too long ago, I evidently, I, am a, I move around in my sleep. And I woke up with my head at the foot of the bed and my feet at the head of the bed. I woke up and I looked around and I'm like, I'm in an unfamiliar place. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. It takes just a couple seconds to like, oh, okay, okay, get my bearings and figure this out. And either that's a really good nap or, you know, something's going on in your brain that that needs to happen. But have you ever had that experience, something like that, where you just, it took a second to kind of get your bearings. Took a second to kind of get your bearings. This world, the world we live in, the culture we live in, is constantly trying to lull us to sleep. This culture we live in is constantly trying to lull us to sleep by trying to impose ideas and thoughts and values on the Christian that are contrary to what Christ has taught us. And so we are inundated. I don't even think that we have a clue to what degree we are hearing messaging constantly from the world around us. It's, every, it's everywhere. It's not, I mean, media is an easy scapegoat. It's media, but it's everything. It's your social media. It's the echo chamber that is Facebook. And so many of your lives would improve if you just got off it completely. But it's these messages that are constantly being, being driven into us about the way if somebody is rude to us, the thing you do is you show them who's boss. You don't let them walk all over you. And it's if somebody needs help financially, well, you make sure that they deserve that help financially before you dig out your wallet. I mean, these constant messages, and they don't seem bad, they don't seem negative, but it's what, it's what the world around us, it's the culture of the world around us that produces these messages that when Christ came onto the scene and he said, no, you walk an extra mile, no, you give them your cloak as well, no, you turn the other cheek. It was so different. It was so countercultural that often the Bible describes what it means to follow Christ in terms of waking up, like wake up, O oh sleeper of orienting yourself, of reorienting yourself about what really truly matters, what really is truly important. So we've got all these messages, and what I believe Jesus is doing with this prayer is a reorientation of everything. Now that seems like a lot to ask from just such a short prayer, a reorientation of everything, of waking up. And I want to talk about what he's doing in two crucial ways, because this prayer naturally divides itself into two parts. There are two kind of sections that we can dig into. And I think the division of this prayer is most clear when we examine the pronouns being used. And I don't mean to get all like grammary on you, because if you know me, that's not something I'm good at. But as I'm reading through this, I notice something that's going on with the words that Jesus is using. So the first thing I want to point out is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Look at what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom, your will. And that's how Jesus teaches us to start this prayer. We're looking at God and we're immediately reorienting ourselves to his perspective. Your name, your kingdom, your will. I want you to think back to the last time you got worked up about something that in retrospect was relatively minor. Maybe the server forgot to add the extra pickles on your burger and it just got steamed. You were like, no tip for you. Bad Yelp review for this restaurant. And just, you know, it's a minor thing, but you had this outsized reaction to it. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you had to wait uh, in a long line at the airport and the clerk wasn't super nice and didn't upgrade you to first class for free because of the fact that you had to wait. And you were just like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to post on social media how mad I am. And this airline is terrible. Nobody should ever fly these airlines again or whatever it is. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic and you daydreamed about what it would be to ram into the back of their vehicle. I'm probably confessing too much about myself here. Yeah, oh, sorry. You ever thought about like, oh, just so mad, they cut me off. Don't they have somewhere, I have somewhere to go. And you had an outsized reaction to something that happened, right? And it just builds, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, you're mad. And then maybe you have lunch with a coworker. Or you go home and talk to your spouse and you say, I can't believe my, you know, this person cut me off in traffic. And they aren't as steamed about it as you are. In fact, as soon as the words come out of your mouth about what you were so upset about, you realize how silly you sound. Because immediately you saw yourself from their perspective. And you're thinking, oh, I'm the one who's being petty. I'm the one who's being selfish. I'm the one who's being silly here. I'm the one who's having this ridiculously out-of-perspective reaction to something that was relatively minor. And that was difficult to see until you saw yourself from that person's perspective, until you heard what you were saying. I think exactly the same thing is going on here. As soon as you see your situation from God's perspective, as soon as you pray and you start to engage with God and you think your name and your kingdom and your will, it puts what you have going on in your life into perspective. This doesn't mean that your stuff doesn't matter, but it puts it into perspective because you're thinking about what my life looks like from the point of view of God and what God values and what God prioritizes. This has happened to me so many times where I stopped to pray about something and as soon as I started to say the words, I realized that what I was praying about was not that big of a deal and I needed to readjust my thinking about it because in light of what God values, my issues weren't that much of a problem. I actually think, and this is a little dangerous to say, and let me clarify here in a second, but I actually think some of our prayers don't need answers as much as they just need to be realigned to God's perspective. They don't need answers. We can get by living the way we've been living, and our prayers, our life, our, our circumstances need to be realigned to God's perspective. Now, some of you are thinking, well, does that mean I don't bring my stuff to God? Of course not. In fact, I think the more we get to know God, the more we'll bring him everything because we know God is this huge, amazing God that can deal with everything in our lives. But I think some of our prayers just need to be realigned in light of God's name and God's kingdom and God's will. What has God got going on and how do I fit in with what he's doing already? Philip Yancey, I referenced this book last week, but it's so, it's so valuable. So if you pick it up, it's called Prayer. But he writes about this idea, like, you know, getting oriented correctly and, and whether or not my little things really matter. And this is what he says. He goes, it occurs to me, thinking about prayer, that most of the time I get the direction wrong. 
I start downstream with my own concerns and bring them to God. I inform God as if God did not already know. I plead with God as if hoping to change his mind and overcome divine reluctance. Instead, I should start upstream where the flow begins. When I shift direction, I realize that God already cares about my concerns. Isn't that what Jesus said a few verses earlier? God already knows what you need. God already cares about my concerns. Listen, more than I do. I begin with God who bears the primary responsibility for what happens on earth. And I ask what part I can play in God's uh, work on earth. I think that's such a good reminder. God, what does is, what is my situation have to do with your kingdom and your will and your name? And that's, a, that's such a good reorientation because the world lulls us to sleep. It lulls us to sleep. Prayer, the way Jesus taught it, forces me to see my life, or maybe better, to evaluate my life in light of God's priorities and values. And that's what Jesus was teaching us through this prayer, to evaluate my life through his priorities. Are the small things in my life still important? Do they matter? Should I bring them to prayer? Yes, absolutely. And we're not even good at determining what's big and small, really, in our lives. Should I bring those to God? Yes. But this prayer helps me see what might God might actually be doing and what God might actually, the ways he might be using the small things in my life to reorient me around his will. So I think that's the first reorientation is from me to you, God. From me to God. From me to God. Probably the best children's show ever in the history of children's show, shows was uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Right? It's the best. It's just the best. You, as an adult, you can still watch episodes of that and get a lot out of it. Some of you have watched the document, uh, uh, documentary about Mr. Rogers. I haven't even watched it. My wife watched it, and she told me about it. And it, like, I, I was tearing up thinking about like, what an incredible guy this guy was, Mr. Rogers. Fortunately, the show isn't on anymore, and all the kids' shows now are just bizarre and weird. And those are the ones the kids really love. They just really love the weird ones. And you're like, this isn't teaching you anything wholesome here. It's just some weird, wacky, whatever. There is one show that is kind of a spinoff of Mr. Rogers. Some of you have heard about it, uh, but it's called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And what they did, now some of you are like, oh yeah. Now Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood tries to teach great lessons to children through, you know, just important things for the preschool crowd that kids need to hear, right? So um, it, it, sh- kids need to learn about sharing. Kids can be a little bit selfish, just a little bit selfish, right? And so Daniel Tiger, or his parents rather, will sing a song about sharing. You can take a turn and then I'll get it back, right? You know, remind your kids and you sing these songs and help your kids reorient themselves to what really matters, what's really important. Anger. Here's some of you adults, you can use this, right? Anger. When you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four, right? Yeah. Some of you are like, four, man, I'm still blowing off steam at four. But uh, Helping others. Uh, when someone needs help, you stop and help them right away, right? That's a good lesson. It's a good lesson for preschool kids to learn. Well, let's just say hypothetically that we have a children's minister uh, who has a son who loves Daniel Tiger. This is all hypothetical. I didn't hear this story uh, a couple weeks ago or anything. And the son is doing something at home and, and he needs his dad to get the crackers off the top shelf or to get something for him. And his dad, who's busy taking care of his younger sister, says, hey buddy, hang on just a second. And the son 
Calling to mind, Daniel Tiger says, Daddy, when someone needs help, you stop and help them right away. (laughs) Now, what this son may be doing is exactly what all of us do all the time. We are reorienting the world around us to our personal first-person perspective. That's what we do. That's just the way that we kind of process the world. And everything, well, does it affect me? If it doesn't affect me, I don't care. It's not that big of a deal. There's this crazy story in the book of Hezekiah where Hezekiah like is going to have all like his kingdom taken away from him. God, God sends him a prophet and, and, and says, hey, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah says, uh, when is this going to happen? Well, after you're dead. And then Hezekiah says, well, then I don't care then. That's no big deal because I'm going to be dead and I won't have to worry about it. And I think that's how a lot of us think. We just think about like, I, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't affect me personally, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't, if it's not about me, it doesn't matter. And so naturally, I think what we would think with this prayer is we've been thinking about God's perspective. And then in the second part, we pivot and we think about our perspective. But that's not what Jesus does in this prayer. And I think this is so fascinating. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Look at the pronouns he uses. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. How many of you, when you pray that prayer in your mind, you mentally reinterpret it and say, me, give me this day, my daily bread. But Jesus didn't use the word me. Now you're thinking, oh, Patrick, you're making too big of a deal of some pronouns. Jesus was just using the royal we, right? Like if you go to the doctor and the doctor walks into the, the, the room and says, how are we doing today, right? He's not asking, how am I doing? He's asking, how are you doing? Is that, that's what Jesus is doing, right? No, Jesus didn't use words carelessly, by the way. He's got a point that he's making here when he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Think about this. I just, I'm going to teach just for a second. So we're going to take off the preaching hat and teach just for a second. But think about what he did just a few verses earlier. He says, when you pray, go into your private room, go into your closet and pray by yourself, right? Remember he said, don't make a big show of praying. Of course, his point wasn't that you couldn't pray with anybody else around, but he's like, don't make a big show of it. Go somewhere private, and God, who is unseen, will see what you're doing, and he will reward you. And then, in the very next passage, he says, now, when you pray in private, in your closet, pray this way. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Why, why would he use that pronoun? It's so interesting. Because I think we interpret things with ourselves as the interpretive principle. Like, give me my daily bread. Give, forgive me my sins. It's very, very interesting. But the, it, the, this is really valuable to me, and I think this is really big. The second reorientation that I think Jesus is getting us to do in this prayer is going from me to us. Now you're like, I, I still don't know. Well, we'll consider this. Uh, earlier, when Jesus is preaching um, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is that section of Scripture we're in, but earlier, he tells this, this, he gives people this advice. He says, if you are at the altar, if you are in the temple of God, if you have come to the temple to offer sacrifices, and you are at the altar, it's finally your turn, and you step up to the altar, and you're there ready to offer your sacrifices, ready to have God atone for your sins through the sacrifice, and you think, wait a second, I think my brother or my sister has something against me. He's not talking about your sibling. He's talking about somebody that you know that you're having some sort of relational conflict with. If you think, oh, my brother or my sister has something against me, leave your gift at the altar. 
And go and be reconciled. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. That's what he says to do. That's crazy. What in the world? There's a way in which my relationship with you is, is overwhelmingly important to my relationship with God. So if I, I can't just have my sins forgiven, we need to pray for our sins to be forgiven. I can't just worry about my daily bread. I need to be praying for our daily bread. Now, this would not have been strange for the hearers of Jesus to think about. They didn't think about themselves the way we do. The way we think about ourselves is relatively modern and Western. It's me, it's mine, it's, you know, whatever. That's relatively a modern way to view yourself. In Jesus' day, they didn't think about that. In fact, think about this later. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is preaching away again, and he starts, like, denouncing people. And he says in Matthew chapter 11, I have it uh, up there if you would, uh, couple, yeah, there you go. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are cities he's talking to. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus is saying to this whole city, Woe to you, Woodbury. Woe to you, Cottage Grove. You guys don't have the right mindset before God because I've showed up on the scene and I've given you plenty of reasons to believe that I'm here and you're not believing me. Now, was it everybody in the town that didn't believe? Everybody? Well, Jesus said it, right? Here's a little bonus question for those of you that like to, to really dig deep. Do you know uh, which apostle of Jesus lived in Bethsaida? They're, one of Jesus' closest followers was from this town. Was Jesus saying, everybody in this town is awful and terrible? Or was Jesus saying, look, there's a way in which the systems that we live in, the collective that we live in, produces these negative results or needs to be repentant? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets did it all the time. They would preach to the people and say, you need to repent. And then they would go to God and say, please, God, forgive us. And they would include themselves. And I think this is one of the, the things that we've gotten away with in our modern Christianity is this idea that, that we are completely interdependent on one another. Prayer, the way Jesus taught it, reorients me to the fact that we are not independent of one another. My, listen, my spiritual health and well-being is not independent of yours. This is so important, church. I cannot sit over in my corner and think like, well, hey, uh, that person, they're doing terrible, but I'm doing great. That's not the way it works. We are a body, and if one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part is honored, Paul says, we all rejoice. That's why judgmentalism is so ridiculous in the church. Look at that person. They're terrible over there. What you're doing is you're indicting yourself because we are interdependent. We are dependent on one another. And Jesus, this prayer reorients us to that fact that you and I are together in this. And if you are struggling, then it is incumbent on me to do something about it. And if I am struggling, it's incumbent on you to help out. Father, forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. This is so important. It's so valuable, and I think it's so missed. Let's tie one more idea to prayer. The second reorientation, first of all, me to you. The second one is me to us. But I, wanna, I just want to point out one thing that we, we started off with. And I think this is the heartbeat of Jesus. Because remember, I asked you the question of what were the greatest What's the greatest command? Jesus expertly weaves these two ideas together, right? Love God and love others. Do you not see that in this prayer? Isn't that what Jesus was saying with this prayer? He didn't say it explicitly, but love God, love others. 
This prayer that Jesus gives us is to reorient us to the fact that I'm not my own. And my life is bound up in God's will and God's kingdom and God's name. And it's bound up in your well-being, your bread, your forgiveness. Uh, you lead, being not led into temptation. We need this constant reorientation. Not because these words are somehow special or magic. Because they call to mind what's really important. For about, um, I don't know, two months, three months... Um, since, since I decided that we were going to talk through prayer and talk about the Lord's Prayer, I've been setting myself alarms on my phone to go off at different times during the day. And then when the alarms go off, I, I pray this prayer. I, I recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, not because these words are magic, but because I, I'm hearing messages every single day about how I'm more important than anybody else. And I constantly have to fight that. I hear messages every single day that, that make me forget what it means to, to hallow the name of God. And I have to fight that constantly. Now, do you have to pray this prayer? I'm not teaching you that. But I'm saying this prayer is a good place to reorient yourself to what really, truly matters. And I need it multiple times a day. Maybe you guys can go weeks or months or years without praying a prayer like this. But I need it daily because of how messed up my thinking can get. And God reorients me. And it's so, it's so funny because it'll go off sometimes in the middle of the day and you're just like sitting at a coffee shop or driving on the road and you're like, oh, that goes off. And then immediately I'm brought back into the, the mindset that my driving, my, my, my interaction with the world around me, my, my interactions with my family, whatever it is, I need to reorient myself to the fact that I'm here to hallow God's name. I'm here to see his will be done. I'm here to, to, give, to ask God to give us our daily bread. Sometimes that asks something of me. So, do you have to pray this prayer? No, I'm not suggesting that. I, I think it's a great place to start if you don't have any sort of prayer life. If you're not praying on a regular basis, then this is a good place to start. It's quick. It takes you 20 seconds to recite it. But it helps get you back in the right frame of mind. Is this the only thing God is asking us to do in prayer? No, Jesus spent all night in prayer sometimes. I've not done that yet. That's, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I was talking to somebody uh, a couple weeks ago that said, I've tried it and fell asleep after about 15 minutes. That's, that's a, that, that Jesus found the, the will to do it, and I'm not saying that we're there. But I think focusing on prayer, praying daily, participating in the 28 days of prayer, putting a prayer on that prayer wall and allowing to be dependent on someone else to pray for you, going to that prayer wall and taking a prayer and being like obligating yourself to somebody else in prayer. I mean, I think those are wonderful ways to start this process. So if you are not participating, if prayer is not, not reorienting you to who God is, well, then let's start. Let's start today. It is, it's got to be fundamental to our lives. This prayer is only 57 words long in the Greek. You can, you can pray it in, in seconds. You can pray it in seconds. You're not obligating yourself to something crazy, but you are reorienting yourself to the truth. And I think that's what matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful to be here. God, we know that many of us are, are struggling to, to relate to you in prayer, Lord. And I just pray that we would make it a priority to seek you out, to to, to, to find you, to ask uh, for what we need, Lord. And I pray that as we do that, we would bring everything to you, big and small, but we would see our lives and our, our stories, our, our, our jobs, our families from your point of view. But we would also see the people around us, Lord, that you would help us to understand that we have an obligation to one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, to be about one another's uh, uh, concerns, Lord. I just pray that we would get involved with one, one another's lives in a healthy, positive way because we are seeking you in prayer. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Thank you, guys. Be safe as you drive home.